Shaloma. You're listening to Watered Womanhood, the podcast for women walking in the truth of who Yahuwah, the Most High, says we are, where we uncover what it means to be His bride. I'm Rabbi Shah Aloha Lani, founder of the Hebrew Housewife, a set-apart homemaking blog for the daughters of Israel. I've been studying the Word all my life and ministering to Israelite sisters since 2019 by the grace of Abinawa with original homemaking tips, biblical marital advisory, and truth-based devotionals. Join me in building up the kingdom at Watered Womanhood on Instagram, thehebrewhousewife.com, and right here as we fellowship in spirit and in truth. I've noticed that the world has quite a bit to say about what a feminine woman looks like, how a feminine woman should act, and as a result, how feminine women are treated, um, the benefits of being a feminine woman overall. And I will say that some of it is hit, some of it is missed, but the bottom line is that we as kingdom women should not be looking to the world to tell us what femininity is, particularly because the Bible is very clear on the distinction between man and woman, the role of a woman, what a woman's garments are, and what the Most High expects of his bride, according to the covenant which he's entered with us. What's interesting to me, but honestly not surprising at the least, is that the world tends to focus more so on the outward appearance of femininity. That is important. That is a huge component of being feminine, right? Because we don't just want to speak femininely or have a feminine attitude. We also do want to take on the appearance of a feminine woman because it does benefit us greatly when we are outwardly aligned with our genetic makeup. However, scripture does tell us plainly that the appearance is not to take precedence over the contents of our hearts. So in today's episode, I really want to engage us in the dialogue of balancing both inward and outward femininity together because these both are on two opposite ends of the spectrum and there is a middle ground to be met. And I believe in that middle ground, that's where we're going to find the perfect biblical kingdom womanhood. I want to go ahead and begin with outer femininity because I feel like it's more simple and it'll give us a good warm up for this discussion so that we have a general and baseline idea of what femininity may look like. So according to the Oxford Language Dictionary on Google, feminine, the word feminine is defined as one having qualities or an appearance traditionally associated with women Two, denoting of a gender or of nouns and adjectives conventionally regarded as female. And three, the female sex or gender. Some synonyms include womanly, womanlike, ladylike, girl-ish, female, soft, delicate, gentle, tender, graceful, refined, modest, girly, and feminine. So regarding outward femininity, I want to say that our femininity is a blessing. It's not just a blessing for us to use our feminine gifts that are exclusive to women to bless men um, and to bless our families, 
But it's also a blessing to be beautiful. It's a blessing to have the unique female figure. It's a blessing to have the female makeup and the female hormonal systems that make us uniquely us. It makes us the better half of our race. And I don't mean no betters in terms like we're over men, but the second half, the refined half, the exterior half, the half that is considered a blessing to Adam or Adam, the half that makes men very good according to Genesis. We should want to have a neat appearance. Um, we should want to smell nice. You know, we should want to represent our homes and our families and our husbands with honor. You know, we should want to be clean. We should want to be fresh downstairs, right ladies? <laughs> we should want to take care of our oral hygiene. We should want to have our hair done. We want to keep our nails nice and neat. We want to take care of our skin, right? We should want to manage our weight. We want to be healthy. We want to eat well. We want to work out. We want to have a nice physique. We want to be able to defend ourselves as well. Um, we should embrace delicate looking dresses. We should navigate, navigate to, uh, or gravitate rather, gravitate to nature um, and embrace all the beautiful creatures that flock to us when we're really dwelling in our femininity. Um, and we should embrace that our hormonal cycle is in fact connected to the moon cycle, which is something that I'll touch on a little further. Outward femininity is vital because it attracts our husbands. Um, outward femininity keeps our husbands pleased physically. And according to the word, we owe due benevolence to our husbands. And this doesn't just mean, oh, you got to have sex even when you don't want to because that's your husband, that's your Lord, which is a completely different episode. <laughs> but due benevolence also means you must be fresh. You need to be clean. We need to be ready to present to him um, with our, our presentation, not to let ourselves go, um, but to put some extra thought and sentiments behind how we present ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis, especially in front of other people, because your reflection of your husband's home, your reflection of his status, a reflection of his wealth, and most importantly, your reflection of his heart, because you are who he has chosen for his lifetime partner. The book of Songs of Songs, chapter two, verse two says, like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. In this verse, we hear the male writer praising the beauty and the femininity of his lover. And actually throughout the book of Song of Songs, this is a common theme. And this type of behavior and admonishing and adoration for femininity is not at all foreign to the scripture. Particularly in the entirety of chapter four of Song of Songs, do we see this blessing and praising and acknowledgement of what a divine feminine woman can do and the impact she has on a man and how a man feels when he is ravaged by her. I'll read a brief passage from the same chapter. Your lips are like a cord of scarlet and your speech is lovely. Your cheeks behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the tower of Dawid built for an armory on which hang a thousand shields, all the armor of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, pasturing among the lilies. 
Until the day breaks and the shadows have fled, I shall go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are all beautiful, my love, and not a blemish is on you. How beautiful of a woman must she have been for this man to make such anecdotes on her breasts, on her neck, on her speech, on her lips, all these little subtle things that when you play pay close attention, you notice they do set us apart from the composition of men. They do notice, right? Men do notice these subtle differences and there's a beautiful thing. And it's not something that we should shy away from, but instead something that we should dedicate to the most high with total sincerity of heart and as an act of worship, honestly. Psalms chapter 139 verse 14 says, I give thanks to you for I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wondrous are your works and my being knows it well. This verse is saying, wow, I am beautiful. I'm gorgeous. I'm feminine. I'm good looking. I have a powerful presence. And that's why I give you thanks. That's why I praise you. I acknowledge that this is your work, O Most High, and that I'm made in your image and that my beauty and my femininity is not some tool with which I manipulate people, but it's a blessing which I fully understand, I fully appreciate, and in fact, the scripture says, my being knows it well. I know completely and wholly, without a shadow of a doubt, this is a gift from you for your glory. I think we as women, and particularly Israelite women, and yes, I'm going to go there because I love you sisters, but I do have to call you out. Because we are the most feminine women on the planet, we do have a tendency to obsess over our hair, we obsess over our nails, we obsess over our figures, over our clothing and our jewelry. But the Most High tells us, let not your adornment be that of the outward appearance, but that of the inward man, that of which is in your heart. He never says that those things are forbidden to us, but that they should not be at the forefront of our minds all the time. It's particularly a problem when we forget why we're beautifying ourselves in the first place. And more importantly, when we forget where we get this beauty from. I'm going to turn your attention to a passage in Hosea. This is really what the Most High is saying about Hosea's bride, Gomer. But this is also what the Most High is saying about us as his wife with whom he's in a covenant. Hosea chapter 2 verse 7. And she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them, and shall seek them, but not find them. Then she shall say, let me go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. And she did not acknowledge that I gave her grain and new wine and oil, and I increased her silver and gold, but she prepared them for strange gods. Therefore, I shall turn back and shall take my grain in its time and my new wine in its appointed time, and I shall take away my wool and my linen covering her nakedness. Now, if you keep reading in this chapter, just read the whole chapter overall, you're going to see all the other things that the Most High blessed us with that we abused um, and that he then took away from us. However, by the end of the chapter, he does restore it unto us. 
But the chapter shows us the consequences of not appreciating and utilizing for good the blessings that the Most High bestows upon us. And notice how this scripture in particular draws the analogy between what a husband provides for a wife. So this is for you Israelite wives, excuse me, Israelite wives out there who do have the opportunity to shop and to get all of your luxury goods that you enjoy, whatever they may be. Don't forget that you are dormant and your beauty is not for the world. It is primarily for your husband because the Most High says she forgot that it was me who gave her those things. So don't take the things that the Most High God has given you um, or the things that your husband has given you and give them for the world. And if you're a single lady, the things that the Most High who is your husband, according to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. Don't take these things and these gifts and adornments and waste them by casting your pearls before swine or before Babylon. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30 says, Loveliness is deceptive and prettiness is vain. A woman who fears Yahuwah is to be praised. It really can't get any more clear. Now, notice how this verse does not say... <laughs> That being beautiful is evil or being beautiful is a sin or putting any thought behind your appearance is just plain worthless. It just says that it's vain, it's vanity, and that it can be deceiving. And if you happen to put your trust in these things, you may be disappointed. However, a woman whose adornment is the fear of the Lord, that's the praiseworthy woman. That's the woman we should admire. That's the woman who should have the precedence in our mind when we think of what a feminine woman looks like. So we see in scripture that there is a balance that we can find between appreciating femininity and the beauty of women versus understanding that these are gifts, that it does not belong to us, that the Most High can take it away at any point, and that we should use these as acts of worship to Yah and service to Adam and not to the sacrifice of the world or to strange gods or even for our own selfish purposes. Now, I kind of want to shift the conversation to inward femininity because like I said, it's, it's just as important, and you already know that, inward femininity may constitute, but it's not limited to how we act in the face of injustice, betrayal, and the plain rudeness of others. Part of being a feminine woman, and honestly, Yahusha teaches us perfectly how to be a feminine woman in his parables and his instructions that he leaves for the entire body. It means to be graciously, it means to graciously forgive. It means turning the other cheek. It means to have mercy. It means to be so full of love and joy that you're unscathed by the ugliness and the evilness of this world. Um, and I don't mean that to say you're not supposed to emote or you're not supposed to feel some type of way or don't be offended. But it means that when you feel those type of emotions, you don't let those emotions determine the course of action that you take when people are treating you in a way that's just not very nice. Our inward femininity outwardly manifests when instead of saying ugly words back to somebody who insults us, we bless them. When people are not being nice to us on social media, we have the grace to say, thank you for your input. I'll take that into consideration. When we're not getting our way, when our husbands are doing thing, aren't doing the things that we hope they would do, when our children aren't listening to us, when our boss is not being fair, and all of the other injustices that sometimes find us in life, we're able to submit it to y'all and maintain a graceful composure. 
And the reason why I believe this is so important is because first of all, vengeance belongs to the most high and you don't want to step in and exact your own idea of vengeance that may be too harsh on somebody or it may be too soft on them and the most high had a completely other different vision of um you know vengeance and justice in that situation and you are being masculine and stepping in where you're not needed i want to move on to the next point Inward femininity hourly manifests in us being content with silence, being content with submission, and playing the role of a co-pilot. This is something I used to struggle with a lot, and I, and that I see plenty of Israelite women struggling with, honestly, who ask me for advice on it all the time. Being silent, being submissive, and appreciating the value of your role as a helper, as a helpmeet, as an assistant, and not as the captain. I'm a firm believer that there is no truer test of a woman's femininity than how well she's able to listen to her man, how well she follows her man, how well she trusts his leadership, and how well she accepts his rebuke and correction. And the more special aspect of this type of submission and femininity is that accepting this silence and finding the value in your role as a co-pilot means being drawn deeper into um, a deeper relationship with the most high because you're no longer the one who rebukes a man and tells him what to do and insists on having your own way. But now you're praying about it. You're looking um, for wisdom from the scripture and you're depending on the most high to help your man. Furthermore, a lot of the times when you will pray for the most high to help your husband, you'll find that the help comes through you as the helper. So being silent and submissive is not just for you to not be heard, you know, save your man's ears because your voice is such a wretched thing, right? That's kind of the idea that we get when, you know, we're told that we should be silent, you know, because our men, they just don't want to hear. But it's not just that. But so that you will have your mouth closed and your ears and your heart open to receiving the wisdom that will get you and your family through this whether it's a direct result of your action or a direct result of your rest. Syrac or Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha, chapter 26, verses 13 through 14 says, the grace of a wife delighteth her husband and her discretion will fat his bones. A silent and loving woman is a gift of the Lord and there is nothing so much worth as a mind well instructed. Why is silent and loving mentioned in the same sentence as a mind well instructed? Because if you're being clamorous and continually speaking, that means your ears are not open and you're not receiving instruction. We cannot listen and speak at the same time. Furthermore, we cannot listen effectively for comprehension and insight if our mouths are open at the same time. That is why a silent woman is a gift, according to this chapter, because when we as women can be silent, which is a huge struggle for women in particular, we open the door for a new and sacred act of worship that will bless ourselves, bless our families, and bless our kingdoms. 
Now, the next point I want to make about inward femininity is embracing the need to rest, especially since we as women need more sleep than men. And this is something that a lot of women do not know. But men's hormonal cycles are daily, like the sun cycle, okay? The sun, it rises, it falls, it's the same sun every single day, it looks the same, it does the same thing, right? Women are not like that. Their cycle is 24 hours, but a woman's cycle is over a 30-day period, like the moon. So while men feel completely done at the end of each day, and they have their peak performance in the morning hours up till noon, women feel that complete doneness towards the end of our hormonal cycles, particularly when we're menstruating. If you want to have a more distinguished inward femininity, you need to be in tune with your body. And I know this is something that the world kind of tries to stress to us, but I don't mean the glorification of the vulva. I mean, you need to know what's going on downstairs and you need to understand how what's going on is going to affect you upstairs and how what's going on upstairs is going to affect you downstairs when you're menstruating. As a woman, you should know the date that you're going to start your cycle you should be able to guesstimate how long each of your cycles last, and you need to be paying very close attention to your menstruation, how much you're menstruating, the texture and consistency, if one period was longer than the other or shorter than the other from month to month, if you're seeing any irregularities, the smells, because this is going to pretty much summarize the condition of your womb. Your menstruation is typically like a report card from your vagina. It tells you, look, I'm struggling with this. I need more of that. You're not paying attention to this. And once you begin to get in tune with that, um, when you see issues like, oh, your period was too long or your period didn't come at all, even though you're not having sex and you're not on birth control, you won't be freaked out or paranoid. You will know what to do. You will understand what's going on and you will act accordingly so that you can renew the balance where it has been thrown off. Most importantly, remembering that our period of menstruation is supposed to be a consecrated period of sabbatical rest. And what I mean by that is that typically in times of old, if a woman was menstruating, she went to her own personal room or she had her own personal house or she had a shack that she stayed in. She laid on her own personal bed. She did not spend too much time in the communal areas. And the reason being was because she was considered unclean, right? Ritually unclean, which means she couldn't enter the temple. She couldn't offer sacrifices. And if any man went into her, right, had sex with her while she was menstruating, or if anybody came into contact with her blood, they would be considered unclean and they wouldn't be able to offer sacrifices or enter the temple either. However, we live in a more modern time. There is no temple for sacrifices. There is no Levitical priesthood. So things are a little bit different. I would definitely hesitate to say that uh, a period makes a woman unclean, but I will definitely say that it should be a time of Sabbath. It should be a time of separation. It should be a time of rest. Not only are our attitudes through the roof, we're not the nicest. And we don't always feel our best and our moods fluctuate and our bodies are putting in overtime to re-nourish and replenish what we've lost in menstruation, namely lots of water and lots of iron because 
at the baseline, that's what blood is, water and iron. And if you know anything about iron deficiency or if you're anemic, you know that when you lose blood or when you have low iron, it makes you extremely fatigued. This is why it's important that when you're on your period, you're not out and about, you're not doing all the crazy things on the tampon commercials like playing tennis or doing cartwheels on the basketball court. You're actually taking the time to rest because you're going to need that rest and that energy for the duration of your hormonal cycle, aka for the other three weeks of the month. The next point of inward femininity that I want to make is knowing how to rest. I'm sorry. The next point of inward femininity that I want to make is knowing how to nest, knowing how to create a home, and knowing how to be industrious. This is probably the first and the only thing that we associate with the Proverbs 31 woman is that she works hard, she girds her loins, she's extremely industrious, she makes provisions for her home, she wakes up before the sun is even up, she goes to the market, she sells in the market, she purchases a field, she makes clothes for everybody. All these things are important components of homemaking, housekeeping, but... I really want you to take notice of the difference between housekeeping and homemaking because they are two different things. Housekeeping is a part of homemaking. Every homemaker needs to know how to be a good housekeeper, how to properly take care of the linens, how to coordinate schedules, how to keep inventory in the products of your house that you may need, such as cleaning supplies and toilet paper and even the food, for example. But beyond that, A homemaker is also continually setting the mood in her home, checking in on the people that live there and making sure they're in a good place, continually praying for areas that are in need of prayer instead of hoping and wishing that things will be different or that things will fall in line. But she's taking an active approach to correct and lift up to the most high the things that concern her, right? Because the word says, be anxious for no thing, but with all prayer and with all supplication, let your request be made known to the most high. A feminine woman is not going to be so distracted by the world or by other people or by her own problems to the point where she can't handle her business at home, to the point where she's neglecting her nest and um, is negatively impacting the people who are depending on her to hold this sacred space together. And also, um, the feminine woman realizes that she needs this place to be together, not just for other people, but for herself as well. And now, one of the most interesting concepts that I've learned since becoming a homemaker is the roots and the origin of house versus home. And needless to say, in some languages, namely Latin languages like Spanish and Portuguese, there is no difference between house and home when you're speaking those languages. For instance, the word casa means house and home in Spanish. They're interchangeable. There's only one word for both. But in English, for example, we have the word house and we also have home. Um, House constitutes the shell, right? The roof, the plumbing, the rooms, the actual structure that encases our material goods. But a home is this sense of belonging and the safe space in which we are allowed to prepare for our worldly endeavors uh, to create, to engage in industrious activities, 
to contribute to the kingdom and most importantly to rest we find that historically houses have always been a thing right housekeeping has always been a thing however homemaking is actually a fairly recent thing and when i say fairly recent i mean the past couple of centuries because people were content with having a house why because the home that sense of home and that sense of belonging and that sense of um safety to create we got that from community. We got that from communal gatherings. We got that from being together, particularly due to homes being more closely together during times of old. You know, unless you were a royal person or you lived in a palace or you lived in some exalted mountain in some wilderness, we were more community oriented. And so this type of homemaking meant we were bringing each other bread and we could get our milk from this sister and we can depend on that sister to draw water from the well. And we know that that sister got chicken. So she got meat and she got eggs. Home meant the community. Home is where we get our sustenance, right? We would rest together. We would work together. We would create together. But now because we can do those things ourselves. We can get those things from the grocery store. You don't need your neighbor to help you do those things. You have your own water inside the house. The sense of homes comes within the actual structure where you sleep and groom yourself. That uh, sentimental value that you place into your work, into your items are actually within the home um, with you. And I think that Every feminine woman will benefit from identifying that distinction between, okay, this is a housekeeping task that I'm performing versus this is a homemaking task in which I am engaging. They're both a blessing to your family, but it's good to know the difference so that you're not overarching and overextending yourself to one side or the other and then waking up confused as to why your house is looking strong in one area and weak in another. And I say all of that to say that we don't just need to try to achieve the housekeeping task that the Proverbs 31 woman accomplishes, but we also need to take a close look at the homemaker that she is at the core of all of her endeavors. Now, inward femininity may also constitute understanding virtue, how to gird our loins and how to sacrifice when it's necessary for the people that we love. Proverbs chapter 31 verse 17 says about the proverbial wife, she shall gird herself with strength and strengthen her arms. For those of you who don't know, in times of old and even in modern times, particularly in the Middle East, in um, certain places in Asia and certain places in Africa, typically where you see Islam and other Hebrew faiths enacted, our men did not and don't wear pants because... Um, you know, pants are a relatively new thing as well. Men wore long loincloths that may have resembled skirts or they wore a long robe that may have resembled a dress. However, you know, in that day, wearing that type of garment became extremely inconvenient, which is why pants have become a thing for men. But though that garment was extremely inconvenient when it was time for a man to work or when it was time for a man to go to war. And this is why when it was time for a man to do those things in scripture, it says that the man girds his loins. And this is also like an analogy or a metaphor to say that he's preparing his garment for a different type of 
work for a different type of task. So to gird your loins or your loincloth, it means to um, reach between your legs, right? Grab the back of your garment, pull it to the front and tie it together so that it appears like pants or shorts, depending on how long the garment is. This verse in Proverbs says a good wife will gird her loins with strength. She will gird herself. She will understand that there is a time for rest and that there's a time for work. And when it is a time for work, she will prepare herself accordingly. Now, I know when we hear the word virtue in the scripture, we have a tendency to associate it with delicacy and with humility and with this sense of being pious and pure and holy, right? Being virtuous. But when you actually examine the original biblical Hebrew of the Old Testament, the word virtue and virtuous means strength. It means power. It means authority. And although these characteristics, uh, although these are characteristics that we may associate with masculinity, let us understand that we do need to have a balance. And the scripture says that this proverbial woman knows when it's time for her to be strong and she's capable of rising to the occasion where she's needed. And she strengthens her arms. She's ready for battle or for work, whatever that may be. Now, it does not mean that you can't work or go to war in a feminine way. I'll give you an example of feminine work and feminine um, war. A feminine way of work would be how Ruth utilized the resources that were available to her as a widowed woman in Israel. Because of the laws in Torah about, you know, poor, the poor people being able to come into your field and for you to have mercy on the poor, um, she was able to go into the field of Boaz and get the scraps, you know, get the things people didn't need or that they didn't want. And even to get the primary um, crops as well because of the mercy of Boaz. And as a woman, we're supposed to work smarter and not harder. As a people in general, male or female, but particularly you as a woman, because you have a completely different capacity um, and a set of strengths than men, our goal is to be a lot more efficient than men, right? Because we can work for far less time and handle a far less um, quantity of work. Now, a more masculine approach to Ruth's work would have been her trying to get money to buy her own field and to plant her own corn and, you know, do her own harvest, you know, harvest her own corn and sell that corn for herself and completely eradicate the need for a man overall. But notice the difference. Ruth did not become her own head. She did not begin to do things her own way and she did not make her own provisions. She accepted the provisions that were available to her because regardless of whether it was as good as she may have wanted it to be, she realized that she did not want to overexert herself. So it was best for her to accept what was before her. Now, I already know a lot of women will say, well, why would I accept whatever somebody hands to me if I don't like it when I can just go out and get what I want and make it the way I want it to be so that it's good enough for me because I have standards and I'm not just going to accept any and everything. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay for you. If that's your life, 
Um, that's the way the most high is leading you. Okay, cool. I don't condone that if you're married. I don't condone it at all. And honestly, it's my personal conviction that doing things in that way will turn you into a resentful, bitter, and hard masculine woman. The work and the work styles that benefit us the most as women complement the way that the Most High has created us so that we're not getting burnt out, so that we're not getting resentful of our work, so that we're performing the best that we can perform and we're benefiting the kingdom the way we're supposed to benefit the kingdom so that when we're working for the kingdom, the kingdom isn't working against us. And when we try to circumvent that um, approach to our work and this requirement that we receive, we run ourselves raggedy. The second example of a feminine approach to girding your loins um, isn't going to war. Now, I don't know how many of you have taken the time to read the book of Judith in the Apocrypha. If you haven't, I highly suggest it. It's an extremely powerful and moving account of the power that a woman has, more specifically the soft power that a woman possesses. Now, Judith was a widow in the land of Israel during a time where a wicked pagan king was conquering cities all over the world and he wanted to conquer Israel. Now, long story short, she completely sabotaged his plans. How did this lone woman accomplish this? with her beauty, with her grace, with her lips. She adorned herself in her best garments. She puts on her best fragrances. She puts on her best jewelry. She puts her best foot forward before going to meet with the general of this army. And he was so flattered and so impressed. He thought he was going to get a piece of her, but he got drunk. And she went into his bedchamber and she cut off his head and she returned to her city with his head and delivered her people from captivity because of her discernment and her prudence. Because she was so in tune and realized that her beauty and grace was a blessing from the Most High, she was able to turn around and rededicate that to him and use it in his service and use it for her community and for the kingdom to protect her people and to preserve all the blessings of the Most High. Now, it wasn't just because of her beautification that the Most High used her because in that book it also does clarify that she took the time to seek the Most High in prayer before making these decisions, which ties back into the blessings of silence and receiving instruction. But I want you to understand that she didn't have to go in guns blazing. She didn't have to go in with the attitude. She didn't have to go protest. She didn't have to riot. She didn't have to be masculine. When you're going to war with dark entities in your home that don't want you to have order, that want you to argue constantly, that want you to be poor, that want your kids to be rebellious, now is not the time to start being masculine because operating in your masculine as a woman is going to work against you. But Judith shows us that when we're faced with war and our back is against the wall and people want us to be poor and people want us to be enslaved and the enemy wants to take your life, become more feminine, become more silent, become more soft, become more perceptive and exercise more discernment. 
Something that you're going to see from me a lot throughout the duration of this podcast and as you get to know me further is that I don't like princess warriors, okay? Princess warriorism is terrible for our representation and our image, right? Because we're always complaining that people masculinize us, but then we participate in it. Um, Princess warriorism is terrible for people who base the way that they treat us on our appearance. And princess warriorism completely defies our genetic composition in the way that it complements our task as women. The main thing or the main issue I have with princess warriors is that they forget that princesses did not go to war. They didn't have to because they had men, they had leaders. Their father was the king. If they're a princess, that means there's a king. And if there's a king, that means there is a military. And if there's a military, that means there's a fort. And if there's a fort, that means that the princess is well taken care of. In those moments where you feel like you have to gird your loins in a masculine way, you need to take a moment and remember, I'm a princess and I don't go to war because my father is the king. My father will take care of everything. My father covers me. And if my father needs me to engage, he will let me know and I will take orders from him. And if he does not let me know, I will wait. I will listen. I will exercise kingdom discernment. And even when we put on the whole armor of God, that is not going to make us masculine. And we can engage in warfare in a feminine way and it's simply by submitting all of our um strategies right all of our warfare tactical strategies to the most high instead of taking the headship and taking the leadership and doing things without order now this ties to the next point of inward femininity learning how to be a receiver, really opening up yourself and accepting when people want to help you, when people want to bless you, when people compliment you. Being a gracious receiver is a huge part of being a feminine woman because we are a cavity. Our womb is a cavity. When we come together with our husbands, they fill our cavities, right? We receive our husbands. When we get pregnant, it's the receiving of the seed. For us to be in submission to our husbands, it is, a, it is for us to receive his mind and receive his authority and receive his power. Israelite women in particular, we need to first understand our role. Second of all, find value in our role. Play our role. And finally, accept that part of our role is having it critiqued and improved upon by our leaders. Otherwise, are they really leading us? We don't need to take offense when we're being admonished and we don't need to harden our hearts against good feedback and positive criticism, you know, constructive criticism. We need to make sure that we're remaining open to receive. To be a good receiver in the face of critique means to not just see, not at all see critique as daggers coming straight for your heart, but see them as little seeds that will fall on your fertile soil and they will be watered and they will grow and the weeds will not choke them out <laughs> the drought will not make them shrivel away it will actually bear good fruit matthew chapter 13 starting at verse 23 says and the seed that is sown on the good soil 
is like he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears the fruit and some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And these are the words of Yahusha. Being receptive is not just hearing and not just letting it take root, but it's actually bearing the fruit and there being a change as a result of that seed being planted in your fertile soil. So don't think that just because, oh, I'm being silent and I'm making an attempt and I'm keeping a record of the critique, that does not make you receptive. Full, complete, 100% reception results in the bearing of fruit. Just like real true repentance is not just saying you're sorry, saying you won't do it again and asking for forgiveness, no. Repentance is a change of behavior that is a direct result of a change of heart. The next point of authentic biblical femininity in the inward part, being a nurturer before we're advisors, before we're rebukers, before we're voices of logic and reason. And this is something that I see a lot, particularly with single Israelite sisters who may not be courting, who may not have family in the truth, and most of the time they're not with an Israelite body. Simply put, they don't have a head. When they see another sister making a mistake or a sister confides her sin into her, immediately the sister jumps to rebuke her, you know, to advise her and to tell her why you need to do this and why you need to do that and calling that person a sinner or say they're not getting into the kingdom. But that's not our primary role as feminine women. Our primary role is to nurture, is to nourish, it's to offer that soft landing pad that you just can't find anywhere else. Now notice how I didn't say that being an advisor is not our job, right? Or rebuking people is not our job. I said it's not our primary purpose. Being able to do those things is a part of loving your neighbor because you're not somebody's friend if you let them ruin their own life and you don't speak up. But the reason being that it's not our primary purpose is because we already have men for that. That is what divine kingdom masculinity is appointed for, which is an upcoming episode that I'm so thankful to be able to discuss um, with my loving husband who is going to share his wisdom on divine kingdom masculinity with us in the most high's will. As a kingdom woman, living in the fullness of your biblical femininity is very important for us to learn how to nurture and how to be soft to people before we're quick to jump down their throats about what they're doing wrong proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says a soft answer turns away turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger we need to learn the potency of our words the potency of our voices, the potency of the pace at which we speak, the rhythms we use, our tone, and even our choice of verbiage. When somebody is wrong or they're admitting their guilt, do we open our arms or do we cross our arms? Do we get closer or do we kind of scoot away a little bit? Do we humble ourselves or do we start turning up our nose a little bit? What are we communicating to people that trust us enough to share their pain and their sin and their stumbling blocks with us? I know we have this tendency to, you know, kind of stay away from the unruly multitude and don't be in the presence of the sinner and don't be in the counsel of the ungodly, but we are called to be holy. We're called to be a nation of royal priestesses. And when Yahusha was questioned about 
Why is he eating with the sinners? Why is he congregating with these tax collectors? Why is he fellowshipping with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? He said, the physician does not come to the one who is healthy, but to the one who is sick. We need to open our arms first. Are we showing people that they can come to us no matter what? Or are we only looking for an opportunity to say, yeah, I helped that person when they were struggling with this sin and now they're, they're in a better place because of me. Or are we going to be able to look back and say privately, right? Because we don't boast. I was there for that person. I was a sister when she didn't have a sister and just being able to be present with her bless my own relationship with the most high. That's the goal. And as you begin to serve more in that way, you're going to see how being a feminine presence for other people will enrich your own relationship with the most high, because you're going to be an open vessel. You're going to be receiving his wisdom and it's going to just be flowing right through you. You're going to feel his love pouring into the life of another person. When you step back from that ridicule and condemnation and you learn to love somebody and recognize that they're looking for water and they're looking for grace. They didn't come to be crucified. Finally, the last point that I wanted to make and um, kind of want to touch on regarding inward femininity is never being jealous as a woman. When you're a capable, content, truly flowering feminine woman, you're not going to be jealous of another woman or of another man because you know your gifts, you know your strengths, and you know your talents. A feminine woman learns how to appreciate and see the value in other people and she doesn't have a need to compete because the riches of the kingdom are sufficient for all of us. We are one bride. We are one body. There are many mansions in the kingdom of heaven waiting for us. The most high is enough for every single one of us without end. If you see a woman who's more feminine than you or perhaps she gets more attention than you or maybe you think she's living a better life than you according to your own perspective, there's no need to attack her. You don't need to try to humble her. You, you, you need to appreciate the blessings that the Most High has given you. You know, sometimes you can use her beauty or success as motivation for your own prayers and perhaps you can seek out the men in your life, you know, your husband or your father, and maybe ask them if that's something that, you know, he would like to see or if it's something that he's willing to invest in for you. Whether it's, I don't know, maybe you want to get your legs waxed or you want to keep your nails done or whatever it is that you see that you think might make you more feminine or that may potentially bring him pleasure. Maybe it's, you know, you want to dress a certain way or you want to get some certain skincare products because the sister's skin looks really nice. You don't need to use another person's blessings to fuel your own discontent and ungratefulness. And I said all that to say, don't route your admiration for sisters into darkness, but route it into the light. Because when you route your admiration for others into darkness is called self-sabotage. The scripture tells us that we are one body. And if the body was just an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the body was all an ear, where would, where would the speaking be? So you need to learn how to acknowledge when somebody else is playing the role of an ear or when somebody else is playing the role of a mouth. 
And you also need to be able to acknowledge your role in the kingdom in the place where you make the most difference. You need to be confident in what you have to offer so that when it's time for you to rise to the occasion, when people need you, you're not being self-deprecating or you're ashamed or you're so apologetic and always apologizing that you can't you can't do what you're supposed to do or I can't do it like this person and I'm not as smart as that person. No, you need to be confident in what the Most High has given you so that you can bless your community and your family that the way that nobody else can, the way that the Most High has only given you the authority and has only given you the gifts to accomplish. And that can't happen if you're focused on other people's lives, if you're focused on what the Most High is doing for other people, if you're focused on how other people's prayers are getting answered, right? It's good to draw inspiration from other people's prayers and for you to use your admiration to fuel your own um, worship. But you also need to be mindful that coveting is breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And coveting doesn't just say, oh, I really want that. That's really nice. I wouldn't mind having something like that. No. Coveting is also saying, I want what she has. I don't understand why she gets to have it and I don't. And that's not fair. And your entire motivation for praying for these things is now because you don't think somebody else deserves it and you only want it for yourself and you want it to boast and you want it to brag and you really secretly want to entice other people to be covetous of you. But I really want to tell you this. The very first murder in the Bible was a direct result of covetousness. Cain and Abel both offered sacrifices to the Most High, but only Abel's sacrifice was accepted. And Cain was so jealous and envious and covetous that the Most High blessed his brother's sacrifice and not his, that he murdered his brother. He put him to death. Mind your own business. Tend to your own field. And if you're curious as to why somebody else is getting something and you're not getting it, don't hate on them. Don't be jealous of them. Don't covet what they have. Step up your game. Go harder. Pray longer. Fast longer. Be about your business as a woman. Because if you let covetousness and envy take root in your heart, the fruit that grows is going to be rotten and is going to make you rotten. Furthermore, and more importantly, rejoicing when people are jealous of you or when people are covetous of you is just as bad because they're falling into the temptation of the enemy. They're not being grateful to the Most High and they're giving you the evil eye, probably wishing evil upon you, wishing that you no longer have those things that they want. And sooner or later, those desires that they have are going to outwardly manifest either in their actions or in somebody else's actions against you. When you hear someone being jealous of you or being envious of you, you should engage them in um, an investigative dialogue, right? Ask them questions. Ask them, well, why do you feel that way? Or do you understand that my life isn't perfect? And I don't know, maybe it's an opportunity for you to share your testimony with them so that they can understand how you receive those blessings or how your life came to be this way. Because nine times out of 10, if we knew the work that it took to get the things that other people have, we wouldn't be so interested in their things. This goes back 
to responding gracefully and having mercy towards people and not automatically giving the most worldly and animalistic primal instinct that we have, which is to respond with hostility, right? Our primal animalistic instinct is to protect ourselves when we're being attacked and to be afraid, right? Defend ourselves. We're not the beasts of the field. We are men. We are made in the image of the most high. And that means we must be holy for he is holy. It is my prayer that you can kind of grasp how we can balance our femininity alongside, um, you know, inner femininity. Because with a strong investment into each end of the spectrum, they do enhance one another. They work hand in hand. They are two links of the same chain. And when you invest just as much into your outward beauty that you do into ensuring that your inward parts are beautiful as well, you will see all of the benefits and the blessings that accompany biblical femininity for the kingdom woman. So while we're taking care of our dresses and our head wraps and our skirts, we want to make sure that we're paying attention to the words of our lips and making sure that our heart is receptive to correction. We want to make sure we're being content with our roles as co-pilots. We want to be industrious in our homes as housekeepers and as homemakers and making sure that when we do need to gird our loins that we're still doing it in a feminine way. And that is a topic that I'm also going to cover further in the future more in depth, you know, girding your loins in a feminine way so that it does not detract from your competency as a woman. I want you to understand our foremothers, you know, Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, Leah, Tamar, Dina. These women were extremely beautiful, right? Princess Abigail, the wives of kings, the wives of military advisors, the wives of the men who were making the most difference in our community, and also the wives of common men as well. They were beautified. They were gorgeous. You know, we were the most beautiful women on the earth back then, we're the most beautiful women on the earth now, but even back then we had our work cut out for us. Our foremothers had their work cut out for them, especially since, as I aforementioned, they had to draw water from the well. They had to feed their own flocks. They had to slaughter their own flocks. They had to harvest their own grain to pound into flour and then make into bread. I would argue that they had even more work to do than we do today because of the conveniences that technology has afforded us in this modern age. But their work and the need for them to gird their loins to do that type of work didn't take away from their femininity because they had balance on the outside and on the inside. Furthermore, the Proverbs 31 woman is not just industrious, nor does she just wear many hats and does all this work. She nurtures the poor, right? The word says she extends her hand to the poor. She knows how to rejoice. The word says she laughs when she thinks about the future. She receives the compliments and the praise with grace. It says that her children raise up and call her blessed. They praise her. And she sits comfortably, confidently, because she knows that her husband has no need of spoils. Or rather, he has no need of another man's wife or to take a man's daughter who's not betrothed to him because He's content with the virtue, right? The strength, the power, and the authority, the confidence of his own wife. And this proverbial woman, according to Proverbs 31, is not afraid of anything. She's not afraid of winter because she's already received her provisions for her house from the Most High, her husband, her maker, her redeemer, according to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. Finally, 
I kind of want to bring up Ruth again because she's a great example of a balance between outward and inward femininity. She lost her husband and as a result, she had to humble herself and work to, you know, make sure that (laughs) herself and her mother-in-law Naomi didn't starve to death. However, she did not lose sight of the fact that she needed a covering and a provider. Otherwise, she would have run herself into an early grave, literally. She submitted to Boaz when he told her not to go to anyone else's field, but to stay right there with him. And she beautified and anointed herself before presenting herself to Boaz and before... And... She beautified and anointed herself before presenting herself to Boaz for a feast and then later presented herself to him in secret where he promised to redeem her. I'm just going to let that speak for itself. I'm not going to say anything else about that. If there are any points that I've made in today's episode that you would like me to further expand upon in a future podcast episode, please let me know. You can email me at HebrewHousewife at gmail.com, which is also in the description. And just tell me what you want to learn more about. And I'll be so glad to expound a little more. I really want you to think this week if there is anything that I touched upon that you may be struggling with or are currently trying to improve or are praying about. As kingdom women striving for biblical femininity, it's so important, as I previously stated, for us to make sure that we are refining our souls, that we're growing, um, that the words, the scriptures, the advice, and the wisdom that is being planted um, is falling on fertile soil, that we're watering it with the word, and that we're allowing the fruit to bloom and to blossom, right? We're allowing it to change our behavior and to continue molding us into the image of our father and not the image of the world or the image of the whore of Babylon. And if there is anything I touched upon that you may have more wisdom on, please do share that as well because we are a community and we work best when we're cooperating with one another and appreciating one another and contributing one another. I'm open to all the beautiful ideas and wisdom that you lovely ladies have. And I am looking for more guest speakers to join me to be interviewed and to have more fruitful discussions with me here. That is all for today's episode of Watered Womanhood. I hope you've been watered. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Be sure to follow, favorite, and leave a review wherever you're listening to make this podcast even more accessible. Remember, you can stay up to date and join us for more interesting dialogues at medium.com forward slash watered womanhood and contact me at the info in the description and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you're called in one body and be thankful. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15. Shabbat Shalom.